What is cracking, everybody? Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am Chris Sinclair, and I am joined by my fellow host, Drew Garrison. We are a couple of self-proclaimed, obviously, booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience, reaching back to the day of washing dishes and cleaning pizza ovens, all the way to owning multiple businesses and selling some of the most exclusive brands in the world. Our goal is to walk you through today's most interesting alcohol industry headlines while sipping some amazing drinks as we do it. Drew, what are we covering today? Chris, we have multiple things to cover, ranging from a brand new celebrity spirit that we're actually excited about, to Jack Daniels making some big moves with their uh, uh, master distiller, Beam Centauri investing into a growing market, and a uh, now we're you, you can't sue people if they talk crap about your wine. So that president has been set. Uh, but before we uh, get to that, Chris, what are you drinking? I am sipping on a cocktail tonight. Oh, wow. It's, uh, it's a little rare for me, but uh, uh, I figured I had a lovely dinner and I wanted something to unwind with that wasn't just straight booze. So I figured I'd go a little ABV. I'm sipping. I there's no name for this, but it's reminiscent of uh, my my uh, peppermint mochas that I used to drink when I was like 18. And I go to my buddy's uh, coffee house, and they would make me these super syrupy, like peppermint chocolatey mochas with whipped cream. Uh, and I kind of wanted something like it, so tonight I made myself a drink with uh, some peppermint. Um, um, liqueur with a little bit of amaro and uh, and espresso and some uh, heavy heavy cream as like the foam on top and like just a touch of sugar in there and it's freaking delicious and it's bringing me back to life and it's lovely and uh, it makes me you know happy to be alive. That's great. Yeah, I mean that's what a cocktail really should do, you know, leave you in a better <laughs> place than where you where you started out. Yeah, absolutely. And hey, what are you drinking, Drew? Um, well, it's uh, it's mezcal week, and so with that being the case, I decided it was only appropriate to drink a mezcal. So I'm sipping on the Recompero Quiche uh, expression, which is from the Karwinski family, which is my favorite. Uh, family grouping of agave. Just always really enjoy anything that comes out of that type of agave. And of course, Ray Comparo just being one of my all-time favorites. And, um, you know, when I first got into Mezcal, um, like I like I said, like I'm really into Karwinski's, but I had more so been about like a Madre Cuiche and, um, and like Verdes and stuff like that. And then I was, but I wasn't really feeling this one as much. But, uh, you know, with your palate always changing and always developing, um, it's something that I've really kind of come to appreciate more and more of. And it's just a super fun and easy drink. So um, it's like a cocktail in a glass, but I don't have to do anything except for just pour it. <laughs> That's fair. I, uh, I specifically the Ray Comparo, the Quiche, I, I really enjoy that Um varietal it's it's it has this really lovely viscosity to it but is still uh, like vegetal 
enough for me. Um, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it doesn't taste dusty. It doesn't taste like underbrush. It tastes like, um, big fat, juicy agave. Like, uh, like it, it just, the agave just wanted to give what it had inside of it to you. And that's, that's a thing that I really enjoy. <laughs> yeah. I, I often try to put people in the direction of, of stuff like this when they first get into mezcal drinking and making that transition from tequila. It's like, Hey, this is, these ones tend to be a little bit more approachable on the palate. So it's really nice to, to have those things and to, and to be able to, you know, with Ray Comparo, it's great because they have so many expressions within just that one line. And, you know, all the agave that they're getting is, you know, from all the surrounding area. And this is one that's like semi-cultivated, but for the most part grown wild. And it takes around, you know, anywhere from 10 to 12 years before it fully matures and is able to be harvested. So it's just a, you know, it's just a really cool spot. And again, I I really like Romulo and um, his whole family that that make this stuff. And they just do such a great job. So again, now after... After it's distilled, how long does it sit before it's bottled and shipped? I know sometimes it's like bottled and sits, but like the shipping, is it, is it like, cause it gets, it gets like diluted a little bit by water. So that way it's palatable. And then what does it sit for a month? Does it sit for a year? Do you know, do you know anything about that? Well, it's, everybody's a little bit different in this guy's situation in terms of like distillation, like they distilled a proof. So there's no water bringing it down. Um, that's why you'll always see a little bit of variance on their ABVs, like when you get their batches, because that's they're awesome. yeah, and that's it's one of those things that you know Romulo's just been doing it for so long, and like he learned from his dad um, that he just knows what the ABV is, which is just bananas. Um, but in terms of it, like resting in glass, uh, they actually do rest. Typically, I think it's like anywhere from like three to nine months. Um, sometimes it's longer. Uh, they, they just don't know like when they're actually going to bottle stuff and if everything's ready to go. So what they do is they distill everything and then it goes into these big uh, plastic tanks, which then are taken from Candelaria all the way back to Oaxaca City, which is about a three and a half hour drive. And then at they have a building there where it just, there's just rows and rows of glass jugs that have mezcal just hanging out in them before they bottle them. So it's kind of a cool, cool thing. So they, they does rest for a little bit, but it varies depending on which agave that they're working with. I want to go to there. That like, I want to, I want to like, like enjoy all those bottles of yeah. glass jars. Yeah, I've only seen pictures and it's pretty incredible. I'll see if I can find one and share it with everybody, but it's it's kind of like the coolest room ever because you're just like, wow. And they put them in those jugs that, you know, either they look like those big blue like water jugs and you're just kind of like, yeah, just bring that to my house, flip it over, set it up and let me just grab some mezcal whenever I need yeah. it. Yeah, just, uh, for, just our, for our uninitiated why why is it important that they're in glass as opposed to like uh wood or stainless steel well i mean i think with when you're doing something with glass it's it's a neutral um vessel right so it's not going to be imparting anything onto it whatsoever um 
with wood, obviously there's going to be some aging there. And then that's when you start getting into like a Reposado aging period or an Añejo, depending on how long it's actually in that barrel. They don't want any influences on the agave distillate, you know, after it comes off the still. They just want it to be its own thing and glass is what provides that for them. Yeah, I think I think also though it's it's really important to point out um uh people often assume for spirits that there's no aging that happens in glass. Um and yet when you encounter bottles of wine, people are more than willing to accept that there's some aging that ha- happens with wine, albeit very slow and subtle. I think the same I I fall into that same boat with booze, which is you put you put booze into glass and there's going to be a change. It doesn't matter what happens because there's oxygen has already touched it. And no matter what happens, there's already some sort of chemical change that happens, albeit slowly. But over a period of time, you're going to notice a difference um, for the better or worse. Even if it's in glass, it just, it's going to be more subtle. Um, I think that with, with, uh, our laws only really referring to oak or not oak, but wood aging. It really uh, drives a discussion because it's, a, it's more substantial. You know, you have the evaporation then you talk about heat, you talk about angel share, um, you talk about uh, wood influence, whether it's neutral oak, new uh, or like used wood, uh, new wood, so on and so forth. But I fall into the camp that, that glass definitely even if it's subtle, still has an effect on the booze. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think there's like a mellowing that occurs with it. Um, and again, it's, you know, it's just these, this, this distillate is something that just went through a complete chemical change. And there's still a lot of, I, don't know, I guess, for lack of a better term, like this vibing that needs to happen amongst the, the spirit itself. So being able to sit in glass bottles allows it to kind of mellow out and become, you know, one spirit again. Um, and I, and I definitely, definitely subscribe to that. I mean, I, I, it's not a situation where I've seen people kind of been like, well, you know, I bought a 10 year, 10 year old whiskey and I've had it for three years. So it's now it's 13 years old. That's not at all what we're saying. Don't, don't misconstrue that. But there is a process that is occurring that, you know, it's continuing to mellow as it sits in glass. I mean, I've tasted mezcal straight off of the still, and then I've had it bottled back in the States. They're obviously very, very similar, but there are some of those subtle differences that are, that occur. And that just comes with time. And like you said, some oxygen and, and the mellowing. So I think, I think the, the best sort of example I always give to people when we're talking about, the subtlety of aging in nondescript vessels would be next day soup. You know, when, when you cook soup and uh, you eat it on the first day, it's good. Hopefully you made it right. So then it's good. (laughs) Um, uh, But, but then it, it like, will you'll either let it cool off or you let it sit out uh, or you'll put it in the fridge. And then, you know, the next day you pull it out and you heat it back up and it's dope. Like all those flavors have come together. And the only thing that really happened was it sat a little bit longer. It cooled off. It warmed back up. And that's it. 
something in there, that chemical change has really uh, changed everything about it to like making it taste just more and it's better. Yeah. It's like it all went in as individuals and then came out as a team. Totally. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't done that with soup. I've de- I definitely feel that way about like pasta and stuff like spaghetti is always better the next day <laughs> for me at least. Um, okay. So it's time to move on. And now it is time to give our opinion on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Hey, Drew. Hey, Chris. Want to know a fact that I learned? I would love to hear a fact from you. We just got sponsored by Ashley Sawyer. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? Super serious. Did you... Our very first sponsor. Which is insane. My first my first response was, wow, what a terrible investment. But well, cool. there you but- go, Ashley. You have someone who's not appreciative <laughs> of your investment into uh into this lifelong club of being the coolest and very first person to support us. So No, well thank you so much, Ashley. Yeah, it's it's something that we had forgotten that we had set up. Or at least I did. <laughs> yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> and you are able to sponsor the show. And Ashley has been generous enough to offer us a sponsorship. So we will continue to sing her praises throughout the rest of the show and for the future. Yeah, and, in like really awkward ways too. So yeah, like that I one. mean, Ashley, you kind of knew that. what this was. So <laughs> it's really mostly on you. Well, and, uh, but if and you the- also, if you are not Ashley and you would like to sponsor our show, you can go to anchor.fm and uh, you just look up our show and then you, there's a sponsor button there and you can also sponsor our show, which would help cover a lot of the costs for making this happen every week. Um, which of course now Drew feels incredibly obligated to do and, uh, and you know, he mumbles about it and mo and moans, but you know, it's, it's good now because he's officially a sellout. So there you go. Yeah. That's, that's me. I um, sold out a long time ago. So, but you did. now you're, you're in the club. Well, the, in, the other big news of the week, not just the sponsorship we got, but also some major shakeups within the whiskey world that, um, Jeff Arnett, the master distiller for Jack Daniels just announced that he will be stepping down after spending the last 20 years with Jack Daniels and being responsible for such things as like the Sinatra select Chris, when you, uh, when you saw this, what were your thoughts? Is, is, I was is sad, man. I, uh, I have been drinking Jeff Arnett's whiskey. Probably the entire time I've been able to drink. Eh, maybe not. The entire time I've known what I've been drinking. There we go. (laughs) I started drinking when I was about 18. We'll say. That's what we'll say. So, the last 20 years. No, yeah, 20 years. So, that's still 20 years. Uh, I have been drinking Jeff's whiskey. And that makes me very sad. uh, Because... I don't know 
what's going to change. Probably very little will change. I mean, it's Jack Daniels, right? But um, the man brought a lot to the game. And as someone who came up in this industry, who started off drinking Jack Daniels, who didn't understand Jack Daniels, who then turned into someone who hated Jack Daniels because of uh, the Green Day effect, as I'll say it, which is like someone who's, you know, uh, uh, something that's so good that everybody likes it. Therefore, I've got to hate it just to look cool. Um, And then moved slowly and begrudgingly back into liking it and now loving it again. Um, I'm, I'm sad, man, because that's, it's literally my entire drinking career. I've been drinking this man's juice. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to stock up and, uh, and, and pour one out for him because uh, Jeff, that's, you've done, you've done, done the Lord's work, my man. Uh, You've, you've done a good job. And especially Sinatra, that, that stuff is spectacular. Um, On our very first day of opening good bottle, we had a couple bottles of Sinatra for sale. And a very good friend of mine, uh, Jason Poole, who is opening up his own distillery right now, um, bought a bottle of that for us, had everybody who walked through the door sign it, and uh, we have it sitting upstairs at Good Bottle, and we're going to sit on it. And he said we're not allowed to open it for 10 years. I don't know if I can wait that long. We'll probably wait for like five years if we still exist. And um, and then we're going to crack that bottle because it's damn good juice and it's a good, good celebration. What did you what did you think, man? Like, I, I know I I know you drink a lot of dope whiskeys, but you're not the biggest fan of American whiskey. But something as iconic as Jack Daniels has to at very least strike a chord with you, Drew, right? Yeah. And I actually I didn't think about it in the same way that you did until just this moment and. And Jack Daniels was definitely the first whiskey I remember drinking at a potentially younger age than what's legally allowed. Um, <laughs> and I re- I remember, you know, definitely having like my Jack and Coke phase as well. And seeing them over the past couple of years really do this realignment of how they push their product because, you know, they're huge, but they're still small, you know, production wise, they're, they're doing a ton of stuff, but then people wise, they, they really are like Lynchburg's a pretty small place. So I always thought it was, I thought it was really cool how they were kind of re- able to reinvent themselves, even as this huge, huge company and then make it still seem like, Oh, it's, it's a very small town. It's a cool story and stuff like that. My first thought actually was when I saw that he was stepping down was I wonder what he has planned. Uh, that's um, funny. I I had the same thought too. I was like, okay, yeah. what's next? So in, in the press release, you know, they, they talk about, it's like, really, you know, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to kind of figure out my next move. And I just don't believe him at all. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think he's totally has it figured out and that he absolutely has a project waiting in the wings and just wants to really put out his own thing because this is obviously a business and an industry that's growing so rapidly that a lot of these guys want to continue to add to their legacies and stuff. And you would think that with a lot of these people, it's kind of like, man, like how do you get, how do you get bigger than Jack Daniels? How do you get bigger than being the master distiller for Jack Daniels? 
And for a lot of these people, it's just, it's never enough, right? It's like, I need to continue to move forward. You know, they'll sell a distillery and then they, then they open up a new one. Like it's just crazy. I mean, I I love the way that a lot of these people think. And I think we're going to see that with Jeff where he's going to probably within the next six to 12 months announce some brand new distillery that he's working with. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree with any, any particular thing that you just said. I, I think sort of the way that you said it of like, it's never enough. I imagine that being the master distiller of Jack Daniels is like three quarters of the way there, right? Like you have done this, you have carried on a legacy, but it's not your legacy. So you want to actually write your own chapter and therefore you're going to take essentially this, this golden ticket that you've got because you can, literally do anything that you want after doing after after being the master distiller of Jack Daniels like there's not a single person in the world that wouldn't back you if they have the ability um so i i imagine it more as like he wants to write his own chapter rather than let's keep the story going type of thing does that yeah, make sense absolutely and i think you can see it within the Jack Daniels lineup, but there has been a lot of this innovation during his time. So he obviously has the desire to put his own spin on something, you know? And I think that's where he's going to be able to build up whatever new distillery that he goes to. He's going to be able to, to cultivate more of the legacy and stuff like that. I mean, again, it's, I I think that immediately that's where my thought process went. I mean, Jack Daniels will be fine. They've already said that they're going to announce his replacement within the next few weeks. So it's it's not like the cha- the the taste is going to change or anything like that. Um, but they're they're definitely losing, you know, a big part of the big part of what made Jack great over the last twenty years. Yeah. Uh, it's also announced this past week that. Beam Centauri is furthering its investing into RTD drinks and they acquired the brand on the rocks out of, um, out of Texas, I believe. And what, what an RTD is, it's a ready to drink cocktail. And so this company has been around for the past five years. They have a Mai Tai, they do an old fashioned, uh, there's a cosmopolitan, a few other ones to add to that. And it's been a big push for, for Beam Centauri. And in addition to that, uh, there's been a couple of different firms who've been doing some research on RTDs, and they actually predict that the sales of RTDs are going to hit 146 billion dollars by 2030. Uh, yeah. So, Chris, as a former bartender and someone who actually made a drink tonight, when you see these RTDs, what are your thought process on them? And I mean, do you really think they have that kind of shelf? life and you think this is something that's going to stick around oh that's a that's a big question and there are sort of multiple questions within that question so let me sort of dissect that a little bit as a bartender when i look at rtds all right we'll say an ex-bartender as a as a proper mixologist (laughs) when i look when i look at rtds now uh what I 
what I see is the desire for a thing that you want to be able to enjoy at home. Aviations, old fashions, cosmos, my ties. They will always, always, always be better by the hand that makes them than the hand that drinks them. Right. It's your sandwich theory, Drew. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, not to mention when we're talking about a like a bar environment. That alone creates its own experience. Um, we know biochemically our bodies change based on our environment and what we see and what we what we experience. And, and that on the outside, our body interprets and allows to manifest in how we experience flavor, um, which is why the, the term we eat first with our eyes is not it's not hyperbole. It it. It's actually true when you see a drink or you see food that looks good our bodies go through a biochemical change that allows us to expect the flavor that, that we get, which is why it's such a problem when we don't get that flavor or that temperature or that texture that we expect. And it bothers us so much or it thrills us so much. And that's, I mean, that's a different conversation for a different day. So, Ready to drink cocktails, especially in this environment and the COVID apocalypse. I think it's the perfect time for something like this. As long as they're made well. Um, you can look through you can look through their whole packaging of on the rocks, and they all have uh, you know, the Knob Creek branding, the Cruzon packaging, uh, the Hornitos packaging the labeling that's all on there so here's hoping that it actually tastes good and is a great representation of those brands um you'll never be able to be as good as a bartender serving you a drink in a perfectly frosted glass you know elaborate garnish um with friends around laughter and music in the air but you can get pretty close to it and, and i think on on the rocks, RTDs is a great, seemingly a great way to to get close to that. You know, um, whether you're serving serving your loved ones, I think I think you'll be able to actually enjoy these cocktails that you don't know how to make. Now that being said, there's a lot of people out there, myself included, who are trying to teach people how to make these drinks for themselves at home. Um, but it still falls under the same sandwich theory that you have, which is even if I teach you how to make it, it's still never going to taste quite as good as when someone with a deft hand makes it makes it for you. You know, I, I equate that to my grandmother's cookbook. You know, I've gone through and since my grandmother passed, I've gone through and cooked a bunch of my the recipes that she passed on and none of them taste as good. And how could they, you know, because they're not made by my grandmother's hand. They're not served in the same way as she did. Not that my grandmother served things in like an ornate way with like a 
tweezer, uh, tweezer, uh, you know, delicate presentation. More often than not, it came on a paper plate, but something about that just made it great, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like having a cookbook from a celebrity chef like Gordon Ramsay, you know, you can have all of his recipes, you can have what he can tell you and break it down each and every step of what to do. But that doesn't mean that you're as good of a chef as he is. There's still a tremendous amount of talent that goes into it and experience and and things like that. Um, Yeah. I think based on convenience, I totally, I totally get it. I haven't had these ones. Um, My experience with RTDs has not, been the greatest i don't really particularly care for them but if you're to look at this data and you're to see like how how fast these things are growing and the popularity and stuff like that like people want the convenience and i know i fall victim to that as well my brother gives me crap all the time about not making my own simple syrup it's just like i don't i don't care just I'd rather just buy it and then there we go that's just one thing that i one less thing i have to do so i certainly understand the convenience part of it um and i'm definitely going to give you crap about not not making your own simple syrup yeah that's that's, terrible you should have never admitted that on on air like that's (laughs) that's the worst thing that you could have possibly done it's sugar and water drew i know that's it that's all it is i actually did a blackberry syrup the other day that's not simple syrup i it it was but it was part of the same process i was proud so i i am putting some effort in Okay, Ugh, doing my best. Here. So disappointed. I just want everybody to know out there in the world that I didn't tell Drew to do this. With every ounce of my being, I have I have told Drew that he should make this thing. It's so simple and so cheap. But you know, first world problems, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Uh, you know what? You know what's good about um, uh, interesting about RTDs is that um, they are not a new phenomenon by any means. I mean, growing up, we had wine coolers, which are sort of uh, an example of ready to drink cocktails. But really, if you if you look back to the the twenties, thirties, and probably even a little bit before that turn of the century. There uh, was a company called uh, Hoobline, which made a lot of money off of selling RTDs. So much so that they developed a spinoff company, which bought um, brands like Smirnoff, which bought brands like Guinness, um, uh, and turned into the, the behemoth that is Diageo today. And it really stemmed from a, from selling RTDs, which is really kind of cool. Also, um, a little factoid: Southern Comfort um, is a classic cocktail. It's it's very very old. It's a it's a peach and brandy smash style cocktail, and it's delicious if you make it on its own. Uh, I I'm not going to say the same about the the liqueur that we know that it is today. But the original cocktail, I strongly suggest everybody go out there and find it and, and make it on their own because it's a damn good drink. Yo. Uh. 
So in a very strange twist for the show, there is a celebrity spirit that now exists that we fully approve. That's a it, fact. And it comes from the, from Snoop D-O-double-G. D-O-double-G. Snoop Dogg has released his own gin called Indago, which is a strawberry-flavored gin. So the man who brought us gin and juice will finally have his own gin. Uh. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. I don't think we have the rights to that song, so that'll be really interesting to see how this goes. <laughs> I love that introduction so much. <laughs> but it, it's it's definitely, like I said, this is the first time that we've seen a celebrity spirit and we're like, finally, something that makes sense. For years, Snoop has been a celebrity ambassador for Tangeray Gin. And the opportunity finally presented itself with a actually a former Diageo employee he, who owns Tangare, uh, started his own company and then reached out to Snoop and was like, it's time to do your own gin. And so now this is this is his first one coming out will be strawberry infused gin. Yeah, and and we we had a episode probably about a year ago. I can't believe we've been doing this that long. Um, where we talked about pink gins. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> it's, it's hard for me to like, think that like Snoop is on the cutting edge of, of, uh, mixological booze. Uh, but you know what? He might just be. Because, because he's doing a strawberry gin. Yeah. Well, maybe it's certainly it's certainly consideration. Um, I I like to think that uh, until I taste this thing, that it's going to be delicious. I mean, strawberries and gin uh, made with a little bit of uh, in order to like pair with grapefruit juice. So you get your gin and juice. I feel like I'm going to be laying back with Ashley Sawyer. We're just going to be hanging out. We're going to be two homies kicking it. Do you think that they're going to use laybacks as a marketing tool for this? No. Damn it. But they do have a couple cocktails that they're announcing that go with the gin. The first one is called the Remix. The second one is called the laid back. Yes. And it is two ounce gin, two ounce pineapple juice, topped with club soda, garnished with garnished with strawberry slices. Oh, that sounds terrible. Good for them. <laughs> the um, bottle itself is purple. So it's Snoop's purple drink, which is great. And he seems to be very excited about it. Well, I would be too with the, uh, you know, having the potential of making millions of dollars off of uh off of a thing that I could sell in theory in a few years. Yeah, he is uh this is going to retail at 29.99 and will also be available in 50 ml 
for a dollar ninety nine. Yeah, obviously, obviously. Yeah. It's it so is, sad, but uh, I'm also okay with it. And it should be actually arriving in California this month. Oh man, I'm uh, I'm assuming that it's probably going to be distributed through Southern because that's who Diageo is with. Yeah. Um, but I will definitely attempt to get a few bottles. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be with somebody big. It's either going to be Southern or, or Young's, that's for sure. Um, I mean, in, you know, his his red blend has actually been selling really well, too. So he's just stupid is embracing the alcohol lifestyle right now. And in our final story, and quite possibly our favorite story of the week, uh, this past this past week, a judge has decided that you cannot sue people for saying negative things about your winery and or wine. Um, this past week, the Pen Penrose Hill Winery sued wine e-commerce expert Paul Mayberry for a blog post and things that he said on his Twitter back in 2017. The judge eventually threw it out because they didn't actually file the lawsuit into well after a year after the blog post had been published. And the judge said that the, the defamation could not have applied that far out from when the blog originally took place. So that's why it was thrown out. But what this does is it does set a precedent for bloggers, critics, things of that nature that kind of gives them this protection that you can't come after these people if they're disparaging towards your products. And um, Chris, I know you immediately went to a Yelp comparison. Why do you feel that way? Yeah, I did. Well, A, because fuck Yelp, uh, but also B, because there's there's a lot of um, contorted shit on, on Yelp. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who just write things and they use it for uh, extortionary purposes. Now, this, this uh, uh, court case doesn't necessarily create the precedents that you – can entirely be free and clear uh, just for uh, your, your opinion on, on any of these, you know, internet platforms being thrown out of court on a technicality uh, certainly means that it could be brought back again. If, if a more pressing matter uh, comes before the court. Um, But that being said, There's a lot of people on Yelp. They say a lot of things. Oftentimes, as business owners, it's not really a thing that we can do um, about that. We can attempt to reply and respond and and solve. But really, if people have an axe to grind, they've got an axe to grind, and there's nothing you can do. Um, I, I am interested in seeing a little bit more of these cases. I, I don't imagine that this is the end of it, even though the precedent was set at uh, throwing this out of, out of uh, court a year plus down the road. 
I imagine we're going to see a little bit more coming out, especially where Yelp is involved. Um, Drew, I know you are uh, very vocal about certain brands, and and I often jump jump onto that bandwagon. There there have been a few out there that you and I have both disdained and and vocalized that disdain for. But uh, is this a is this a breath of fresh air for you? I was never worried about it. <laughs> I think I think this is something that we've talked about before too. Is you know if if someone was upset about anything that I was that I was critical about that they made, like I would understand why they would be upset. You know, you put your time and effort into it, and sometimes things just suck, and there's really nothing you can you know you're just you're not good at making it. Um, but I, but what I've found is most of the time people get upset who are like selling the products that don't make them that that's the one that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Um, and, and I think even in this situation, one of the reasons that the owner of Penrose was so mad was because one of the critiques was that the, the reviewer thought that he was more concerned about marketing than he was about making quality wine, you know? And, and that's, I mean, that's definitely a, a critique that you and I have on, on a pretty fairly frequent basis. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I just don't, I don't think that there's, there's anything that, that you can really sue these people for because you just covered under freedom of speech and things like that. And I think trying to prove the damage would be really, really difficult, you know, and to the judge's credit, like they said, in this situation, like they waited way too long. It's like, how are you, how can you sue for this when this is, you know, it's been over a year since this blog was written and now you're actually bringing up, bringing up this lawsuit. So. Well, it's not, you know, it's not like um, influential people or sayings don't have an effect, right? Like we can, we can point back to, um, the movie Sideways is like a classic example where Paul Giamatti's character, you know, screams to the screen. He's like, I'm not fucking drinking Merlot. Yeah. And that one line right there in a movie about wine and his character is a wine critic crushed Merlot sales for till today. You know, and that, that movie came out quite a while ago. And, and we're looking at at a, a gross underselling of Merlot since that movie. And that wasn't even someone's opinion. It was just like an artistic expression about some snobby piece of shit who, who was out there. And yet everybody took that shit as gospel. I, I think that there is a place that people, people should be a little concerned about what other folks say about, about what you do, but you, you kind of hang yourself by your own rope if in fact you only give a shit about marketing rather than what's going into the bottle, you know, you can't, you can't claim that that's not true when, you know, it probably is. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, I I think that this is an industry where you do put yourself out there and there's going to be, there's going to be times where people aren't going to like your stuff and that sucks, but there's probably going to be people who do like your stuff and you got to have that thick skin and you have thick skin in just in general. But, um, I, I would, I was just mostly happy to see this because you don't, 
want this censorship of people. And I, for the most part, hate these types of people, like these reviewers and stuff like that. These YouTubers, these people giving tasty notes who you don't know what their qualifications are. And if they're perceived as this expert by people who are even less educated than they are, you know, I, I, I do understand how that's damaging and stuff like that, but they still should be able to say it. You know, I just need to be smart as a consumer and be like, okay, that person's been drinking mezcal for, let's say for two months. I'm not going to listen to their opinion because they don't know shit. They haven't spent enough time drinking it in different styles and everything like that. I mean, that's where you were, where I, I know we're kind of getting off on tangents now, but it's like, I don't put that much stock into those, into those people, but I understand why someone would be upset and would look at someone. I mean, apparently this guy is a very popular blogger, but, and this isn't my world, but like, I've never heard of him. So it's like, okay, this is the first time I'm hearing this is the first, but this is also the first time I'm hearing of Penrose Hill. So, <laughs> you know, I just, I don't know anything about these guys in general at all. You know who's dope? Them over there. Okay, so now it's time for one of our favorite segments of the week, and that is our follows of the week. Mine this this week, and we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier today uh, on this on the podcast was uh, it's going to be mescalistas. And Mescalisa's is a blog that is dedicated to everything, everything Mezcal and really agave related. They're the people who also put on Mexico in a bottle. Now, that is obviously an event that cannot happen right now. So what they did was they put together Mezcal Week and it is happening all over really the world, primarily the United States, but pretty much all over the world. And it runs from September 8th to the 15th. You can go to mezweek.com. That's M-E-Z-W-E-E-K.com. And you can check out the schedule and just look for your city or closest city to you. And they have all the information there for you to check out and to there's tastings, there's virtual interviews, there's flights that you can pick up from stores, there's mezcal deals, just all across the board. So, um, so again, my, my follow this week is Mezcalistas. They also are doing this really cool, uh, conversation series where they're just bringing in people from all over the industry and having live talks with them. So if you're not already following Mezcalistas, go out and do that. Cause they're great. Chris, who's your follow? Uh, well, uh, circling back to that, uh, Mezcal week. Yeah. We're, uh, I've got things going on at the store. And uh, hope to be at your tasting on Saturday over at Mywell. So I'm pretty excited about that. Nice. Um, yeah, that should be a that should be a good time. We also have uh, you know mezcal packs, and and I brought in a lot of like small bottles of mezcal, um, which for people who don't want to spend hundreds of dollars buying lots of different types of mezcal. I've got those options for you. So, uh, but mescalistas, they do a great job of uh, cultivating sort of a, a responsible enjoyment of mezcal in in a, an honest way, not the smoky tequila way. Uh, so, so I like them as well. I'm a, I'm a fan. 
for me, I went uh, somewhere else because I just needed pretty things to look at. Uh, so uh, I my follow this week is interior design dot addicts. Uh, addicts, not addicts, like uh, not like you're upstairs, but like someone who's a junkie. So A D D I C T S. Um, this this uh, uh, Instagram is full of just gorgeous photos from all over the world. A lot of things they don't take themselves, but they just they accumulate them all into one spot, and it's gorgeous. Everything from like really beautiful sinks and bathrooms to gorgeous living rooms with amazing views and bedrooms. It's just as a Libra, it's everything that I need. Uh, it's just perfect symmetry, gorgeous. It's a uh, uh, amazing, amazing furniture. I'm, I'm all about this. So it's, it's just a, a fun little reprieve from my day of not thinking about anything within my world, but uh, it's, it's something enjoyable to just look at. What's the name of it again? That is intro, sorry, interior designs dot addicts. Good. All right. You were so passionate. We had to, get, we had to get, make sure it stuck. I was. <laughs> oh, good times. Good times. All right. Good Ball Podcast is a production of Fluid Concepts, edited and researched by these two guys. Music is by two talented brothers of, uh, you know, moderate handsomeness, Leon and Chase Moore. Before we go uh, kill these drinks that we've been sipping on, we ask that you enjoy, that if you enjoyed this episode, please go and smash that subscribe button just like our good friend Ashley Sawyer. Leave us a five-star review, you know, because obvi. And then I guess also start, you could be a sponsor. So that's a thing that we forgot that you should still yeah. do. Um, but you can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Just look up The Good Bottle Podcast. If you would like to uh, for us to cover a story or if you are affiliated with a brand that wants to be feature- featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase any of the bottles that we were drinking on this episode or get the ingredients so you can make the cocktail that that Chris made uh, today at goodbottleshop.com. And also, again, it's Mezcal Week. Check out Good Bottle. Get yourself some Mezcal. Enjoy it. Check out the events. It's going to be super fun. But until next time. Cheers, homie. Cheers, buddy.